Well, hello, everyone. My name is J.B. Hickson with NBW Ministries, proclaiming the clear, accurate, and urgent gospel message from my studio beneath the sky nestled in the tall timbers of Colorado. Thank you for joining us. It is Thursday, August the 24th, and uh, I am uh, joining you from the road as uh, Wendy and I are traveling down to Dallas uh, for the conference that starts tomorrow with Hope for Our Times and Tom Hughes. What a great uh, conference that's going to be. Really looking forward to it. Uh, you can check that out at notbyworks.org. It's on the highlight carousel there or under the events tab. It's not too late to sign up for live stream tickets and you can hear uh, my message as well as Dr. Andy Woods, uh, Tom Hughes himself, uh, John Haller, uh, Alex Newman, Olivia Melnick, uh, many others, a few others, I think. Uh, but just going to be a great Friday, Saturday. Honored to be a part of it. Uh, if you do purchase a live stream ticket, I think they're only 15 bucks uh, from Hope for Our Times. Uh, and that gets you access to all the messages over the weekend, uh, not only live, but also for the next 30 days. So you can watch them at your leisure. So anyway, check that out. Uh, we've had a great week already this week. On Monday, I did uh, the seventh installment of my Q&A, where I answer listeners' uh, questions uh, that are emailed in. So check that out on Monday. On Tuesday, we uh, had Prophecy Night, of course, uh, Another great discussion about the rapture and the second coming. That's available by video or audio uh, for free at our website. All of our videos and audios are free. Uh, and then uh, our world events update was uh, yesterday. Another great discussion with Randy. I love that guy. I hope you do too. Just a great uh, guy that really helps us think through some of the things that are happening today in this crazy mixed up world. Uh, tomorrow, I've got uh, Nathan Jones back on the Mighty Angels of Revelation part uh, three, and uh, really looking forward to that uh, discussion with him. But today, uh, we're going to be posting the fourth uh, and final installment of my four-part video series that uh, I was privileged to do with Dr. Sherry Tenpenny last month uh, in July. So as I've been mentioning, uh, these are video uh, interviews that are available at her website, drtenpenny.com. There were four of them, one per week in the month of July. They're archived there for you. Uh, you can visit drtenpenny.com and sign up to become an insider with her ministry. And then you'll have access not only to these four videos, but also a ton of other fantastic interviews that she's done with various guests. And uh, she's just got tons of resources there on her website. So go to drtenpenny.com today and uh, check out what it uh, takes to become an insider. Uh, but the podcast that you're about to hear is a is the audio-only replay of the fourth and final video. We've uh, posted the other three audio uh, podcasts uh, previously. I think the part three was Tuesday. Uh, so this is the fourth and final one. Again, for the videos, you'll need to go to drtenpenny.com. But I think you'll find the audio-only version uh, also really encouraging and hopefully informative. And I really appreciate you, you listening. So have a great day. Uh, keep us in prayer as we uh, head out to Dallas and enjoy that conference this uh, weekend. So God bless everyone. Take care. Well, hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Sherry Tenpenny, and I want to extend a warm welcome to everyone who's joining us here at Happy Hour with Dr. T. Each week, we get together with amazing guests and have conversations I know inspire you, and they're here especially to help you grow in your walk with the Lord. You'll be able to find interviews that have been from previous podcasts by going to drtenpenny.com uh, under the podcast tab. Well, tonight, 
sadly, is part four of this important series of Happy Hour with Dr. T, this special event. If you have missed the first three episodes of what we've been talking about here with the uh, spirit of the Antichrist and the books from J.B. From, from JB Hickson, you can go back and go to drtenpenny.com under the podcast tab. You will see, and I believe it's the forward slash is, is, uh, is Antichrist, but you will see the picture and you'll see the little blurb there for all these different things. Now, if you're a premium podcast member, you have lifetime access to these courses, but soon, one week after this last one is done, we'll leave it up for a week, it will move into the same category that we've done with uh, past Doug Van Dorn and Mike Spaulding and other authors, where we'll go into our podcast area, where we will sell this four-part important series for $79. And any of that money, 100% of it will go back to JB for all the work that he's done and to support his future growth with what he's doing with his books and with um, all the things that are going on in his life. So please feel like if this, if you haven't listened to these, all of them, this is something you will want to have in your armamentarium. So we, we, I think that you probably, well, I'm just going to say this because you maybe have missed the first three, um, three episodes. So you'll go back and listen to them. So let me introduce you tonight's educator, pastor, author, speaker, J.B. Hickson. J.B. Hickson is a nationally known author, speaker, radio host, and pastor. He is known and recognized for his expertise in the area of systematic theology he has served on the faculties and adjunct faculties of nine colleges and seminaries. His BA was degree was from the Houston Baptist University, a master's in theology from the Dallas Theological Seminary, and a PhD from Baptist Bible Seminary. If you're ever in the Dallas in the Denver area, you'll want to join him at his Plum Creek Chapel for a Sunday or Wednesday night service. This is part four of our four-part four part series on the spirit of the Antichrist, the gathering deception. They're based on JB's uh, two books, the spirit of the Antichrist, book one and book two, which if you go to his website, which is notbyworks.org, notbyworks.org, you can get both of the books, part one and part two. And if you use happy hour at the checkout, you'll get a 10% discount. And there's all sorts of videos and other things that are available to you there too. As a recap, in, in, in week one, we explored the role of Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum in, in their conspiracy, the role in human government, and the role of America in their Luciferian plan. In week two, we continued with the totalitarian tiptoe by exploring historical evidence for the conspiracy and role of biometric surveillance. And we left you with some points on what the believer should do. Last week in week three, we covered bloodlust, the Luciferian depopulation agenda, which is in high gear. The Luciferian depopulation agenda is real, and we talked an awful lot about child sacrifice and blood sacrifice. And, you know, I, I mentioned last week in last week's show that so many of us just go, yes, we we spout off about Ephesians 6, about we are not fighting um, flesh and blood, but powers and, and principalities of this present darkness. We JB showed us at a higher level. He goes into much more detail in his books about how really evil these evil Luciferians really are. So here we are in week four which I told him multiple times, I wish there were four more weeks, but he's got another book coming out in the fall. We may do this again on his new book coming out in the fall. As part two of the bloodlust, exposing the Luciferian depopulation agenda, we will be exploring the spirit of perversion, eugenics, gene-altering bioinjections, and the U.S. government's documented history 
of intentionally harming its own citizens. We will also be providing a few practical guidelines for responding to the Luciferian depopulation agenda. What should the believers do? And he's told me that there are lots of additional information on how to respond to all of this inside at the end of book two. JB, welcome back to Happy Hour with Dr. T, this special event. You know, these three weeks have just been amazing. I mean, I told you offline, I could just sit and listen to you talk for hours, and I really can. You are so, you make things so simple, and you take complex issues and make them really easy to understand, and you write the same way. So this has been just an absolute joy for me to spend this time with you. Well, you are very kind. It's almost embarrassing to hear you, you know, read the bio and and and, and talk about that stuff. You know, I, I feel like I'm just a a guy. I'm, a, you know, my wife and I've been married 31 years. We have six children, one granddaughter. We've been in ministry the whole time. Uh, actually, I was in ministry before we got married, so I've been in ministry about 35 years. We uh, spent some time in academics, uh, teaching formally and in administration at both the graduate and, and baccalaureate levels. Uh, we pastored some churches. Uh, but in 1999, the Lord led us to start Not By Works Ministries. It's based on Titus 3.5, Not By Works of Righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, He saved us. And NBW Ministries has just uh, been a real blessing. It started out as an auxiliary ministry of our teaching and pastoral roles. It has become our, our primary focus. I do pastor a church as the teaching pastor in Denver, as you mentioned, Plum Creek Chapel. Uh, but we're on the road uh, much of the year doing a lot of uh, speaking at conferences. We do podcasts and videos and television and radio interviews. And of course, I write. These are my uh, 10th and 11th books uh, that we're talking about on this uh, program. Let me uh, share my screen here and folks can, uh, uh, let's see here, can uh, follow along with us. Um, but, you know, these books are essentially the culmination of about 17 years of deep dive study uh, into the Luciferian conspiracy. My first book on that subject was back in 2012 called The Great Last Day's Deception, Exposing Satan's New World Order Agenda. But these books are much greater detail. It's, it was going to be one volume, but as we got into it, it was clear that it, it was going to be 600 pages. And so we just decided to make it two volumes and uh, folks can uh, can can check that out. But our, uh, I'll, our put a, I'll put another little plug in here for your book. We talked about this offline. You know, could you imagine a 600 page tome? I mean, if somebody would get a book like this, it's like one book, people would go, I don't think so. I don't think <laughs> I could do that. But it's the outlines and everything are so well done. And I told him this the other day when we were talking, the font size in this book is like readable. You know, I can't tell you how many books I've picked up over the years that I won't buy because it's like size two font. And I know that my brain won't ever do it. And he was also telling me that they use this super white paper, which makes it a whole lot easier to read also. And so that was a little bit more cost on your side, I believe, to get these yep. publications done. But the font size is easy readable. The white paper makes it easy readable. And your writing style is just wonderful. So everybody needs to get these books. Well, you're kind. You know, we, like I said, we've published several books through the years. I've had other publishers. Uh, and, uh, you know, we did these two in house with the not under the not by works imprint, just because over the years we've kind of gotten good at it. And we use the same typesetters and same copy editors and so forth that we've used for when I worked with other publishers. But one other uh, aspect of this book that I think is worth mentioning is that some of my books are more academic books. And in fact, some of them are used as textbooks in Bible colleges and seminaries. I've got an eschatology textbook called what lies, called what lies ahead. <clears throat> 
I've got a soteriology book called Getting the Gospel Wrong, and those books have footnotes. We intentionally chose not to include footnotes at the bottom of the page so that it would read easier, and I think folks will find that it reads very easily. You're going to find that you know you 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 can't put it down you know you're just you want to get to the next section however everything in there is documented and that's why at the back of both books there's a you know extensive bibliography and anything that i cite in the book i'll say something like and i'm i'm just making this up but i'll say as you know bill johnson said in the new york times on september 3rd 1987 well then you just go to the back look up johnson it's a bibliography and alphabetical order and you can find the exact citation so very easy to document everything that i'm said 66 pages of citations in the first in the second book 38 in the first book but we did that intentionally some of my colleagues in the academic world have kind of given me a hard time. Yeah, why didn't you footnote? Well, not everybody likes to stop every sentence and look at the bottom of the page. You know, we mm-hmm. wanted it to go out to the masses. We believe the time is short, and we want people to uh, to be aware of this information. So, uh, let's dive in. Last uh, last of four weeks, uh, like you, I'm kind of sad that it's coming to an end, um, but I want to try to pack as much in here in the next uh, you know 45 minutes or so as we can. This is the part two of what we started last week, and that is bloodlust exposing the Luciferian depopulation agenda. So, big picture, we believe the Bible teaches that Satan is conspiring with his evil spirits and human accomplices to take over the world. He wants to defeat. God and claim this world as his own. Uh, this has been going on for 6,000 years. It's shifted into high gear. The books focus uh, primarily on the uh, uh, the human accomplices and how the Luciferian elite, as they call themselves, by the way, that's their name for themselves, taken from Isaiah 14, um, they've been really kicking it into high gear and working together to try to bring this about. Uh, last week and this week, we are focusing on some of the direct ties between the actions of these Luciferians uh, in terms of government and all kinds of other aspects of the geopolitical scene and their satanic bloodlust, their desire to serve Satan and sacrifice uh, to him. So that's the the the, uh, the big picture. So we left off uh, last week with talking about eugenics programs. Now, eugenics, for those who don't know, is a you know a key part of their agenda that started, as I talked about in week one, uh, around the turn of the 20th century in the United States of America. It actually started in Europe, but it was very influential during the early days of the 20th century in America when the Luciferians made a concerted effort at that point to destroy America. By that time, America had kind of gotten away from them. Our roots in the Word of God and our love for the Lord and the Christian heritage of this country had sort of become a restraining influence on the goals of these Luciferians to usher in a one-world system. And so they said, we're never going to be able to accomplish a one-world system without, you know, with America here, so we need to destroy America. So they set in place a number of uh, agendas uh, to systematically dismantle, you know, all that America stands for and all that is good. One of those was this eugenics program. You can go to just about any uh, size of, uh, of of significant, any town of any significant size in the U.S. during the last, uh, you know, the early part of the last century uh, and see historical markers talking about here's where the eugenics office was, that kind of thing. Well, what do we mean by eugenics? Uh, here, this pamphlet states, eugenics is the self-direction of human evolution. Uh, in a nutshell, the eugenicists, Darwin, of course, was a eugenicist. They believe that uh, only certain people are worthy to live. 
that the feeble-minded, as they called them, which, by the way, the feeble-minded in the eugenicist handbooks and writings referred to people of color, people with malformities, people with a limp, people with a broken arm, um, people, you know, for, again, of different nationalities. Uh, so only people that looked like them were worthy to be to breed, to continue to have children. And so they set in place all kinds of depopulation efforts and uh, to 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 live out the Darwinian ethic. Remember, Darwin was not a scientist. He was a eugenicist. And so uh, eugenics is essentially social Darwinism. Uh, one of Hitler's mentors and, and heroes, if you will, was Darwin. So according to the Darwinian ethic, Hitler was just living it out. There are certain people that are useless breathers that have no purpose in life. We need to rid the world uh, of them. Uh, and so that's the reason, by the way, that the Rockefeller Foundation and Carnegie Foundation and, and Ford and others uh, demanded that evolution be taught to every child in America when they launched the compulsory government schooling program back in 1918. We talked about that uh, previously. But if you look at Darwin's famous book, I bet your seventh grade biology teacher didn't point this out to you, but the subtitle of Origin of the Species was Preservation of the Favored Races in the Struggle for Life. You can go to Amazon today and look at a picture of the book, and it'll it's right there. That really? was the okay. subtitle of his book. Uh, it was not about natural selection. It was about preserving fee favored races and getting rid of the feeble-minded. Feeble he published this, of course, in 1859. His subsequent book, The Descent of Man, which was published in 1871, is even more explicit and comes right out and says that most people are evolutionary dead ends. Only a small elite is actually evolving and everyone else just gets in the way. Wow. And this speaking of Nazi Germany and Nazism being the really the embodiment of the Darwinian ethic. Uh, that leads us to post-World War II and Operation uh, Paperclip. Operation Paperclip uh, was when the U.S. was racing against the Soviet Union post-war to attain as many Nazi scientists as possible. The Nazis were on the cutting edge of eugenicist uh, genetic type uh, research. And so the U.S. paid the Nazi scientists to come over and work uh, for the government and provided them with immunity from prosecution for their offenses, and it allowed them to escape execution. Um, they also brought their families over. They gave them uh, homes and cush uh, jobs, and uh, 1,600 Nazis uh, came over. And that program, Operation Paperclip, lasted, by the way, until 1990. Uh, so, you know, by the way, we did the same thing after World War II with the Japanese. It was called Operation 77, but because America was predisposed against Japanese people, it wasn't as, as common and wasn't talked about much. You know, German scientists could blend in a little better in America. Uh, but anyway, uh, many of them went to work for the U.S. Army or for NASA. They got extremely high-paying jobs with commercial companies like GE and Bell Laboratories. Some of the Nazis were so well known that Alan Dulles at the time flew some of them to Argentina instead of the United States because it would have caused an even greater outcry. Uh, but here, for example, is uh, Nazi Major General Walter Dornberger. Uh, he was taken captive in April of 1945. Who is Dornberger? Well, he oversaw the creation and manufacturing of the V-2 guided missile, which killed over 5,000 British civilians during World War II. 
So what do you do with a war criminal like Dornberger? Well, you bring him over, make him the CEO of Bell Laboratories and turn him into a multi-millionaire. If you don't believe me about Dornberger's past, just consider what Nazi, the Fuhrer, uh, Adolf Hitler said. He said to Dornberger on July 8th, 1944, quote, this is Hitler talking to Dornberger, Quote, I have had to apologize only to two men in my whole life. The first was Field Marshal von Braustwitz. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. My German's a little rusty since my PhD days. Uh, but he said, the first was this Major Marshal von Braustwitz. I did not listen to him when he told me again and again how important your research was. And the second man is yourself. I never believed that your work would be successful. This is Adolf Hitler apologizing to Dornberger. Uh, what about uh, Nazi... Uh, SS member Werner von Braun. What do you do with Nazis? Well, of course, you celebrate them because of their Darwinian views, and you put them on the cover of Time magazine, uh, like von Braun here in February 17th, 1958. So the bottom line is Operation Paperclip was a complicit uh, conspiracy between the United States and the Darwinian Nazis uh, to further advance the eugenics program and bring it across the ocean to the shores of North America. The Nazis didn't lose. They simply moved to America. And that brings us to modern day where we're learning more and more through the whole climate change scam and other World Economic Forum, World Health Organization programs, that people are the problem. The Luciferians say there are too many people we are the real problem here. They've got to get rid of us. Uh, I've been to the Georgia Guidestones before they were blown up uh, by a vandal. Uh, but the Georgia Guidestones were a great granite monument in Elbert County, Georgia. My family and I, like I said, we've visited all 50 states multiple times, taken pictures of some of the, almost all really, of the key cities and and and, and data sites from the Luciferian conspiracy. Um but when we were there, we saw that it that the the Georgia Guidestones contained ten guidelines inscribed on this structure in eight modern languages, with a shorter message inscribed at the top of the structure in four ancient language scripts. It's about 750 feet above sea little level, about 90 miles east of Atlanta. Um, and, uh, you know, one slab stands in the center, as you can see from the picture there, with four arranged around it. Um, and it's sometimes referred to as the American Stonehenge. It's very mysterious. We don't know exactly who funded it or where it came from. It's in the middle of nowhere out on this farmer's land. And as I said recently, it was destroyed. And they, it was kind of damaged, and they just removed it. But what are the 10 uh, guidelines of the Luciferians as, re, you know, as recorded here on this structure? Number one, right at the top of the list, was, quote, maintain humanity under 500 million people in perpetual balance with nature. Number two, guide reproduction wisely. <laughs> Number three, unite humanity in a living new language. And it just goes on and on, all exposing their agenda for a one world government uh, and to reduce the population currently at around 8 billion down to 500 million. They just think we're redundant. We don't need this many people. We need to uh, get rid of them. Uh, as I mentioned, Fox carried the uh, story of the demolishment of the Georgia Guidestones. But you go to the UN and the World Economic Forum and places like that, you see propaganda pieces like this one, where it shows this godlike universe uh, posing as a doctor diagnosing the earth's problem you know the earth has a problem dr tenpenny we're sick dr tenpenny we're sick and and what is the problem well i'm afraid you have humans 
Uh, and you see these uh, posters all over the place at UN meetings. Um, here's another, uh, you know, p picture portraying this. You know, the doctor says to the earth, you are going to have to take a daily capsule of tsunami and two tablets of eight degrees earthquakes all under a strict regimen of doubt. In other words, all of the natural disasters that are happening are our fault, that we're being judged by Mother Nature because we just have too many humans. Children are even picking up on this when they're doing their artwork in class and they're being propagandized and programmed to believe this. And so, you know, I'm sure you have humans. That's your problem. People are the problem. That's what Yuval Noah Harari uh, says. Um, this guy is at the tip of the spear in the Luciferian agenda. As I think you pointed out in a previous one of our sessions, a lot of people in the theological world see him as a candidate for the false prophet. I'm going to be talking about that in my next book. We don't know who the beast, which is another name for the Antichrist, or the false prophet, his second in command, are going to be. We won't know that till after uh, it, you know, the rapture, uh, but uh, certainly he fits the biblical uh, model. Look at some of the things that he's said. This is from an 18, uh, a 2022 uh, interview with Chris Anderson, the founder and head of TED Media. He said, quote, the future is about developing more and more sophisticated technology like artificial intelligence and bioengineering. Most people don't contribute anything to that, except perhaps for their data. Now, don't, don't miss that parenthetical there. What he's saying is most people don't contribute anything constructive to the world except for their data, like lab rats. We can use them to experiment on and learn things from them, but they're not constructive. And he says, and whatever people are still doing, which is useful, these technologies increasingly will make redundant and will make it possible to replace the people. <laughs> uh, he said 99% of human qualities and abilities are simply redundant uh, for the performance of the modern jobs. This is from a February 24, 2017 article entitled, quote, The Rise of the Useless Class. Just as mass industrialization created the working class, the AI revolution, artificial intelligence, will create an unworking class. So the elites have been hard at work for many years trying to depopulate the earth. There was a secret meeting of billionaires in New York City in 2009 that leaked out and was covered by Good Morning America. Forbes and, and many other mainstream print and TV news outlets. It in, involved from left to right Bill Gates, Ted Turner, George Soros, David Rockefeller, Michael Bloomberg, Oprah Winfrey, and Warren Buffett. The Wall Street Journal, after it leaked out, covered this meeting uh, in their May 26, 2009 agenda it, with a story, Billionaires Try to Shrink the World's Population. It was held at the personal residence of Sir Paul Nurse, who at the time was the president of Rockefeller University. The invitation that went out to this private meeting to all of these wealthy billionaires was uh, co-written by Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, and David Rockefeller. And it stated the purpose of the meeting was to consider how they could pool their wealth to slow the growth of the world's population. They just don't like people. Satan, as we talked about last week, loves death, he hates humanity. He wants to destroy humanity as an in-your-face to God because mankind is God's highest pinnacle of creation. We reflect the glory of God to the extent that we're living for Christ and you know, living out the new nature. Obviously, when Christians live like the devil and live apart from the Lord, then we're not doing God any favors, but God created us to reflect all that is good about him, and uh, Satan hates that, so he's trying to destroy us. Uh, speaking of Bill Gates, Bill Gates is the one who, in a TED Talk, said, quote, if we do a really good job with vaccines, we can lower the population growth by as much as 10 
to 15%. Um, who would have ever thought when he said that? Because that was quite a few years ago. Yeah. That TED talk that, you know, here we are today with these, uh, you know, bioweapons that we have and the global popula- population, you know, the fertility globally, yeah. worldwide has dropped like a rock. And he got in trouble, and, and I know Bill and Melinda are divorced now, but the the gate, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation goes on. And even before they were divorced, that foundation got in a lot of trouble with the Indian government for uh, you know uh, unwittingly giving all of these uh, underprivileged girls in third world countries vaccines that had sterilization in them. Again, because in their mind, people are the problem. They want to get rid of people. You know, Bill Maher has been in the news a lot. And sadly, a lot of Christian conservatives are jumping on the Bill Maher bandwagon just because he's been on Fox News. But you ought to do your research and learn about these people. Bill Maher said, quote, I'm I'm pro-choice. I'm for assisted suicide. I'm for regular suicide. I'm for whatever gets the freeway moving. That's what I'm for. It's too crowded. The planet is too crowded. And we need to promote death. We need to promote death. Death, And that's exactly what our neighbors to the north are doing with the new medical assistance in dying law, MAID is the acronym. Uh, that's It's been around since 2016, but they expanded it in March of this year to include eligibility to anyone who's feeling depressed. So in Canada, Bill C-7 allows people to apply to be killed simply because they're sad. The New York Post is just one example of many mainstream media coverages of this law. Uh, You can actually watch um, a sickening 30-second video. I won't play it, but uh, it's, you know, on their all of their TV stations in which a young girl is has decided to kill her life, yeah, kill take her own life, kill herself. She quote, she says, quote, even now as I seek help to end my life, there is still so much beauty. You just have to be brave enough to say it. And it glorifies death. She's out on the beach and imagining what life's going to be like after she takes her last breath. But they've been promoting this for a long time. Barack Obama's primary science advisor, John P. Holdren, said, quote, a program of sterilizing women after their second or third child, despite the relatively greater difficulty of the operation than a vasectomy, might be easier to implement than trying to sterilize men. He said the development of a long-term sterilizing capsule that could be implanted under the skin and removed when pregnancy is desired opens additional possibilities for coercive fertility control. The capsule could be implanted at puberty and might be removable with official permission for a limited number of births. It's called, of course, Depo, it's called Depomedrol. Is that what it's called? Yeah. yeah. They actually, it's an, it's an injection that they tell women that they take this injection, a depot medrol, and it, you know, like once a year, once every six months to keep them from having periods. And when they decide they want to have children, they just skip a couple of shots and they can get pregnant, which a large percentage of the time isn't true. Wow. Unreal. I encourage folks to go, if you go to notbyworks.org, go back in our videos page. They're, they're by date. We have hundreds of videos. Go back to the one that I spoke in January on the sanctity of life. And I talk about the biblical basis for life and why, uh, you know, why that's so important. Uh, so I encourage you to, to check that out. What, but what does the, what does this is sort of an aside, but I, I, now that I got you here, I need to ask you this question because you give such brilliant answers. What does the Bible say about suicide? Oh, it's it's just like any other murder, you know. The Bible doesn't doesn't uh, give explicit uh, prohibitions against you know 
suicide, fratricide, patricide, you know, all the different murdering categories, murdering your mother, murdering your father, murdering your friend, murdering your unborn child, murdering your, you know, self. Um, the one statement that's again and again throughout the Old and New Testaments against murdering innocent life covers it all. Um, mm. Suicide is murder. You shouldn't do it. Now, thankfully, it's, you know, our salvation isn't based upon our works. That's what Not By Works Ministries is all about, because the Bible teaches again and again that we're saved by grace through faith. It's a gift, not something we earn. We couldn't earn it. So, as horrific as suicide is, if you're a believer, and, and sadly, many believers have taken their own life, it's horrible. Satan is the great deceiver, and he convinces them that you know a permanent solution to a temporary problem is the answer. Horrific, and you should never do it. But it doesn't uh, have any bearing on our eternal destiny, because we get eternal life, Dr. Tenpenny, the moment we believe. Jesus said, he who believes in me has everlasting life. He says, I give you eternal life and you shall never perish, John 10, 28. He didn't say, I give you the possibility or the prospect or the potential for eternal life. He said, I give you eternal life. So if you've trusted in Jesus Christ and him alone for salvation, uh, you're born again. You're part of the family of God. You're a Christian. After that, obviously, we sin sometimes. We make mistakes. We rebel against God. But nothing we can do after that can change our identity in Christ. It's our spiritual DNA is changed. If you're a Christian today, you'll be a Christian tomorrow. But the goal of the Christian life, of course, is to live out outwardly our life of practical righteousness and godliness that reflects who we are in Christ. And when we cater to the flesh, we don't do that. When we cater to the Spirit, we produce the fruit of the Spirit. So, yeah, suicide is is just like any other um, uh, sin and murder. It's horrible. You shouldn't do it. Um, but all life is sacred. All life. Uh, and, and I make the case in that uh, presentation I just referenced a moment ago from January of this year uh, that it doesn't matter how life began. You know, that's why uh, I don't want to get too far afield, but that's why, you know, I've been so opposed to, you know, framing the argument in terms of rape, incest, and life of mother. I mean, you know, the Bible says you don't punish the children for the sins of the father, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, it, it's life is life. All life is sacred. All life deserves the opportunity, uh, you know, and, and, and of course, back in Roe v. Wade, which, you know, has now changed to the Dobbs decision, they argued that the unborn child was just protoplasmic rubbish. Um, and, and that's just absurd on, on every level, biological and theological. Uh, but let's just say for the sake of argument, you're not sure. Well, one thing I can tell you with absolute 100% certainty, Dr. Tenpenny, if you leave it alone, it comes out a human being every time. So, you know, so it's there's just no other. I mean, I can remember since we've chased this rabbit, I might as well keep going with it. I can remember I grew up hunting uh, in Texas and uh, killed tons of deer, turkey, quail. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the temptations when you're hunting, you know, you get out early in the morning for the morning hunt, you get out well before sunup, you're in the stand, and the sun slowly starts coming up and you start to see things move. And of course, every branch, you know, wiggling 80 yards away, you think, oh, it's going to be a big trophy buck. And the temptation is to shoot before you know for sure what it is. But no hunter would do that. No one's going to aim a 270 rifle at what vaguely appears to maybe be a buck, but it could be a tree. It could be another hunter. It, who knows? No one's going to take that risk. So why would you kill an unborn human being just because you think, well, it's we're not sure, you know, it's really human, you know, 
No, no, no. It, you, 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 you know, if you leave it alone, it comes out a human being every time. So it's just the way God created. Life begins at conception. That's the biblical model. So, um, so we're talking here about you know this whole depopulation agenda, and I left off with you know uh, this wonderful. Uh, fellow talking about uh, some sterilization programs. Of course, everybody knows about Margaret Sanger. She was very big in the eugenics movement that I talked about a moment ago back in the early 20th century. And she said, quote, all of our problems are the result of overbreeding among the working class. And the most merciful thing that the large family does to one of its members is kill it, infant members. Uh, She's the founder of Planned Parenthood, uh, but it was a eugenics uh, society. Paul Ehrlich, just giving you some more historical evidence here, uh, American biologist. Um, he said, quote, nobody in my view has the right to have 12 children or even three unless the second pregnancy is twins. Ted Turner, who a lot of people think was connected to the Georgia Guidestones creation outside of Atlanta. We can't prove that, but uh, some good speculation about that and, and, and uh, sort of uh, circumstantial evidence that he's the one that funded it. Uh, he said, quote, a total world population of 250 to 300 million people, which would be a 95% decline from present levels, would be uh, ideal. Uh, here's Detroit News columnist Nolan Finley talking about how we need to put contraceptives in the drinking water to keep people from having so many children. Nina Fedorov, who's a key advisor to Hillary Clinton, said, quote, we need to continue to decrease the growth rate of the global population because the planet cannot support many more people. David Brower from the Sierra Club, um, first executive director of the Sierra Club, is just one of those Luciferian think tanks along Think Tank Row in Washington, D.C. He said, bluntly, childbearing should be punishable by crime against society unless the parents hold a government license. (laughs) All potential parents should be required to use contraceptive chemicals, the government issuing antidotes to citizens chosen uh, for uh, childbearing. Henry Kissinger said depopulation should be the highest priority of foreign policy towards the third world. And that's why Bill Gates and other foundations uh, secretly went into third world countries and attempted to sterilize them Um, because, you know, these elites want to be able, as Henry Kissinger goes on to say, to go in and take control of the natural resources of those countries. Of course, uh, uh, Prince Philip famously said that if I'm re- reincarnated, I want to come back as a deadly virus so I can contribute something to solve all this overpopulation. Al Gore at the World Economic Forum just recently said a contraceptive pill is the key tool in the battle against climate change. He <laughs> said, making fertility management ubiquitously available is crucial to the future shape of humanity. You know, a lot of people, Dr. Tenpenny, probably don't know that the United States has an Office of Population Affairs. And Thomas Ferguson, uh, who was a formal, uh, former official in the U.S. State Department's Office of Population Affairs, said this, there is a single theme behind all of our work. We must reduce population levels. Once population is out of control, it requires authoritarian government, even fascism, to reduce it. Uh, this is what our taxpayer money is going uh, for. Again, this is from the hhs.gov website, uh, the uh, Office of Population Affairs. Again, you can go uh, to that uh, website, and uh, that's probably too small to see on the screen, so I'll zoom in, but it says the OPA advises the Secretary and the Assistant Secretary for Health on a wide range 
of reproductive and adolescent health topics, including teen pregnancy prevention, family planning, and sterilization, as well as other population issues. I bet you didn't know we had a population control office in uh, the United States. So lots of other evidence. So is that is that a, f- a real forward from the eugenics movement? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Nope. It's just it's always been there. You know, they they change the names. That's where Edward Bernays that we talked about, you know, recently in one of our sessions here it came into play. He he kind of recast a lot of these openly thing openly uh uh agendas. Remember, it all started in the beginning of the 19th century. They really took the bull by the horns in their view and said, enough with these Christians. We've got to destroy America because America is standing in our way. We're not going to have the new world order, which that, if you remember, that's why uh, the uh, America was called the new world originally. By the time 150 years after the Plymouth Rock pilgrims came over, these new worlders came over trying to establish, you know, a beachhead for the one world system but they vastly underestimated the power of God. And so for the next 125 years, they just tried their best to do things, but it God's spirit was too powerful. Christian's faith was too powerful. 1900s, they said, we're done. We're going to make this happen. And they really thought it would come about by the end of World War I with the League of Nations, by the end of World War II with the United Nations. Uh, and, you know, of course, it's taken a lot longer. And then we have the uh, Alice Bailey quotes where a demon supposedly told her 15 times in the 1930s that really the 2020s were the year. So, you know, they've been they've been working on it. Um, so how are we doing on time here? I, I haven't, uh, I want to be sure I'm not ahead of myself. We've got about uh, 15 minutes. Okay. So I want to go into, would the U.S. government ever harm its own citizens? Uh Again, I think you mentioned this maybe even at the outset today that it's very easy for us, those of us who love our country, especially like in my family, I've come from a long line of military servicemen, you know, both of my grandfathers, my father's retired army. Um, you know, when we go to Washington, D.C., which we, we've taken our kids there many times, I, I actually taught a class there for as an adjunct faculty member for a school uh, for four straight semesters, so about a year and a half. So I was there regularly, uh, and we always would go to Arlington Cemetery, and it just always brings tears to my eyes to think about the sacrifices that men and women have made for this great country and really what it's become today and, and who's really in control of it, especially in the military with all the woke transgenderism. But, you know, but, you know, it's helpful, as painful as it may be to recognize that there are on record openly admitted, in fact, reparations have even been paid in some cases, examples throughout uh, the past in our country of our government performing, uh, you know, experiments. So you've got the Tuskegee experiment, very famous, uh, 1932, where a total of 600 African-American men were chosen to be involved in this uh, study where they were given uh, syphilis. You've got the Stateville Penitentiary Malaria Study. Um, uh, that was in Illinois, if I remember right, uh, where uh, they were given these prisoners unwittingly malaria just to Treat them like lab rats and study them and see how it came out. Um, you've got uh, Edward Cohen, a biochemist working at Harvard University, conducting the so-called Navy-sponsored beef blood transfusions in 1942 when, when uh, Navy uh, servicemen were, uh, again, injected with these experimental uh, things to see what would happen if, if they got cow blood in their system. Uh, you got the plutonium testing in the mid-1940s while the U.S. was you know, fast at work 
with the Manhattan Project trying to create the atomic bomb. They wanted to see what, what's really bad about plutonium. Let's just test, you know, unwitting human patients. Boy, the, the World War II mustard gas experiments are just unbelievable. I was talking to my dad about that one time, just stunning what they did to our uh, patriotic, you know, servicemen and women. In 1950, the army was involved in a secret experiment to test the possibility of biological warfare near the West Coast. And so they released biological weapons into the streets of San Francisco just to see what their effects would be. Uh, killed dozens of people and hurt others. Similar operations like Operation Big Buzz. I mean, these are actual military operations. This was 1955 when they released millions of mosquitoes that they knew were carrying yellow fever into uh, state parks in Georgia. And uh, let's just, you know, see what happens. Well, the Savannah was the main target, uh, Savannah, Georgia, and it was devastating the effects. And it was, uh, you know, followed up by other uh, similar operations, one called Operation Dropkick, one called Operation Big Itch. Um, and it was just to experiment on people. Um, the measles vaccine experiment from 1990 to 1991, the CDC uh, conducted, uh, you know, experiments to see if they could use, uh, you know, uh, uh, natural, you know, they could use the the vaccine to replace natural antibodies, um, and so they injected thousands of babies in the third world with this drug, and it was just unconscionable. Um, they uh, they they continued the testing after it was exposed on African American and Hispanic children in Los Angeles, injecting more than fifteen hundred babies. This is all admitted and on record. One of the most horrific ones, uh, and I get into much more detail in, in these, not that you want more detail, but if you want the documentation, I get into a little more than I am in these presentations. But the Willowbrook experiments from 1956 to 1970 at the Willowbrook State School in Staten Island, New York, these were mentally handicapped children, Dr. Tenpenny, and they could not provide consent. Uh, many of them died from their uh, treatment. They were trying to experiment on, to, on them to find a cure for hepatitis. Um, but even those who did not have hepatitis, because it was rampant at the school, uh, were infected so they could, you know, continue this experiment year after year after year for, you know, 14, 15 years. Most people are familiar with MK Ultra. I have a whole chapter on that in my, uh, in my, uh, uh, book and we talked about it recently at our uh, third uh, Tuesday night prophecy night in Denver that I do every uh, Tuesday night that reaches some 6,500 people by live stream and video. Uh, but MK Ultra was, you know, I encourage you just to read that chapter. But there's been all kinds of documentation about that how the CIA conducted, you know, LSD and mind control experiments on unsuspecting uh, citizens. Kathy O'Brien is, is a big whistleblower about that. She's written a book called Transformation of America. Folks can check that out. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's no question. Obviously, one of the biggest in our recent times that you've been on the front lines of really exposing is the experimental gene-altering bioinjections. Of course, they were claimed to be safe and effective. Uh, why then? And, and this is from a couple of months ago now. It's even worse now. Why then have there been 2 million reports of adverse effects uh, from vaccines overall, but even more alarming, two-thirds of those are from the COVID vaccine. <laughs> two-thirds of all adverse effects ever reported from, you know, to the to the VAERS system since it started in the 90s have come in the last three years. Uh, so, you know, we've, we've 
you got all kinds of examples of this type of thing happening where they don't really care about humanity. Not only do they hate it from a satanic perspective, and they're trying to to defeat God by destroying his crown jewel, but they also view us in their transhumanist efforts to recreate humanity. You know, they're trying to create man, to create God in the image of man. That's what transhumanism really is. Uh, so, because they have no respect for for human life, they have a bloodlust that is working hard to you know uh, to overcome uh, mankind and and to you know kill us and experiment on us. But what's the good news? Uh, I don't want to end without the good news. Um, you know, the Luciferians know quite well how effective fear can be. Uh, as psychologists have said again and again, there are many things that motivate us, but the most powerful motivator of all is fear. So what we need to do is remember that greater is he who is in us than greater than he who is in the world. Um, you know, we know that ultimately, and I love reminding Satan of this. I love going to these passages and reminding him that one day the devil who deceived us is going to be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast, the Antichrist, and the false prophet are, and they will all be tormented day and night forever and ever. Uh, that's what's going uh, to happen. And that's Satan's ultimate end. He may have some win some battles along the way. And and that's another question, by the way, that you know people often ask is why does God allow this to go on for so long? I don't have the mind of God, Dr. Tenpenny. I don't really know the answer, but what I can tell you is 2 Peter 3 9 really comes to mind that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants people to believe in him. And so he's allowing Satan a long leash right now so that we have more time before he intervenes with the wrath of God being poured out on, on the beast of Antichrist and the false prophet and, and, and urging people to come to faith. And so, you, you know, know, that's I've had, we, I've had a lot of people ask me over the years, JB, and I was never, I mean, I know what I've said, but I'd love to hear your answer to this question. They said, if this is an all loving God, I mean, God is love. God, you know, expands his love for us. I mean, like we said in the, at the beginning, or we said along our way, you know, God could have, uh, you know, in the garden, you know, taken Adam and Eve and go big mistake, smash, start over, you know, could have done that all the way back when, when there was just, you know, in our belief system, there was only two people on the entire planet. I mean, Absolutely. you know, could have just like, that's it. Um, with this all loving, all powerful, all forgiving, you know, want to, to, to make us in his image and all the things we've talked about over the last four weeks. How could God put people at the end who don't believe in him into the lake of fire to be there forever? Not just Satan and his minions, but those yeah. who didn't come to believe in him. Well, they and anybody that ends up in hell has nobody to blame but themselves, Dr. Tenpenny. Doc, uh, God has done absolutely everything he can to make himself known to us, Romans 1, to offer the free gift. It's a free gift, right? If I offer you a gift, if we have the pleasure of meeting face-to-face -face sometime and I say, eh, I appreciate you so much, here's a gift, you know, maybe a new um, iPad or I don't know, some gift. If you don't take it, it's not yours. I can't force you to take it. A forced gift is no gift at all. So God doesn't force himself on anyone, just like he didn't force Adam and Eve to take to eat the apple. So it all goes back to who we are as human beings, being made in the image of God with volition. So God doesn't send anybody to hell. You want to know, you know, why someone goes to hell? Look in the mirror. 
We're all sinners. The Bible says we're born dead in our trespasses and sins. But God is so gracious and so loving and so kind that he is screaming. I mean, the in high definition, the greatest event of human history was at Calvary, where Jesus Christ suffered a cruel death, was scourged, beaten, tormented, crowned with thorns, hung on a cross, died a cruel death for you and for me. And anyone who simply recognizes there's a God, God says in Romans 1, he will, there without excuse, he will send them uh, the gospel message. And if you believe that good news, great, you've received the gift. See, faith is the mechanism for receiving the gift. In my illustration a moment ago, the mechanism for you receiving that gift I'm giving you is your hands. You know, in the physical realm, you reach out, you grab it, now it's in your possession. In the spiritual realm, the, the fa faith is the hands. Faith is the means by which we receive the gift. Uh, more than 160 times the New Testament alone conditions receiving eternal life upon faith. That's the way you get it. So, But faith can't be forced on you. God doesn't force you to believe anything. If you reject the gospel... You have nobody to blame but God. So God, so God is a loving God. That's why, uh, you know, we get to go to heaven. Uh, but God's not a uh, tyrannical God who forces you to do something. He gives you the choice. Are you going to trust in him and thereby receive eternal life? Or are you going to reject him and thereby spend eternity suffering? What God told us all along is the consequence of sin. So one other question that has come up over the years uh, is um, the Noah flood. Mm -hmm. Now, we know that, you know, Noah built the ark for 120 years and, you know, there's only there's only eight people. That's it mm -hmm. out of the whole planet. Noah and his wife, his three sons and their wives and all of these animals. And I've had people say to me, I don't understand why God didn't just wipe out the Nephilim and whatever they were doing and the bad stuff they were doing. Why did they kill all those innocent animals that you know were on the planet at that time? They weren't all genetically modified. Why did they kill all the animals? And you know, there may have been people on the planet that were not, you know, um, genetically modified and and mating with the Nephilim. And maybe they didn't really believe Noah, but they weren't. But they but they were wiped out too. Like people that were in South America and people that were in Asia that didn't see Noah standing there, um, you know, building the ark. Why did God wipe out all? Of it. Well, first of all, uh, it doesn't matter where you live. If you're a human being, you're a sinner. And the Bible says the, the wages of sin is death. Every human being born is born dead in his trespasses and sins, Ephesians 2, 2. Uh, so uh, no man is without excuse. But secondly, at that time, everybody was localized. Remember, it wasn't until after the flood that you had the Tower of Babel and the dis dispersing of mankind abroad. And that's when you get the nationalities, people groups, the languages, the different facial features because of what part of the world they were in. So everybody was localized at that time. But secondly, as far as the animals, animals are not innocent and they're not guilty. Animals are not human beings. They don't have a soul. Their animals are just animals. No, no, Bible never says that animals have soul. The only created thing that God breathed into them, the, le the breath of life, which is the soul, nephesh in Hebrew, is human beings. That's what distinguishes us from every other thing. Animals aren't made in the image of God. Oak trees aren't made in the image of God. Frogs, you know, <laughs> lily pads, you know, rose bushes are not made in the image of God. Uh, and that's why 
you know, God sent his son to die to pay the penalty for the sins of all mankind, right? There's no penalty that needs to be paid for animals. So uh, the devastation of the flood was goes to the, speaks to the immense evil that had, you know, taken over the earth. And the purpose of the flood, Dr. Tenpenny, wasn't to destroy the Nephilim. In fact, the Nephilim, the Bible very clearly states, still existed after the flood. Genesis right. 6, 4 says there were Nephilim in those days and also afterward. Right. Nephilim, for those who may not know, are the hybrid uh, progeny of the fallen angels who came to earth in, in human form and cohabited with human women, creating a race of giants that are part human, part uh, you know angelic. They're not human beings. They don't have a soul either. So uh, God created, God destroyed the earth because he he you know mankind became so wicked. Uh, there were eight righteous people who had believed in God. That by the way, the method of salvation is always the same from Adam to the end of the age. Faith. Abraham, for example, believed God and was declared righteous. So Noah's family had believed God and was righteous, was justified by faith like we are. And uh, so God rescued them. Nobody else on earth. That's how wicked the earth became. Nobody else on earth believed God. You said something really important that I hadn't thought of before. It was, you know, when because when they talk about that there is a, 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 a flood mythology in all of the cultures all over the world. Well, what you said really made sense. And I had never, so many of the things that you say, JB, I haven't heard anybody else say before, <laughs> and they all make sense. It's like you're filling in all these gaps, is that it was the tower of, after the Tower of Babel, that they dispersed all across the world. So yeah. the people that were there dispersing to, you know, South America and wherever that they went, would have had as part of their mythology, of their just their cultural mythology, the history of what happened at the Noah's flood. That that was one of those cultural because you know uh, you know historically uh, we didn't have writing in all these languages. It was all passed down by the storytellers. And you know uh, Campbell talks about it being the the, the myth, and right. it doesn't mean myth. You know we define myth as being something made up and not real, but myth is just the storytelling of what what has been passed on. So it makes sense to me then why all of these cultures that they've said all over the world have them have the uh, flood story because it came with them after the tower of babel yeah see secular atheistic science anthropologists they suggest that the bible borrowed from these other uh stories you know the the flood epics and the creation epics right absolutely not you know God began his self-revelation of mankind in written form during the Exodus when, with Moses. The first five books of the Old Testament were written from 1446 B.C. to 1406 B.C., that 40-year wilderness wandering. That, of course, is Genesis, the first book of the Bible. Uh, but in, before that, everybody knew how mankind came about. They believed in God, the, the one creator of the universe. It was passed down orally, as you said. Uh, these other pagan religions mimicked everything that they were learning from God's people. And, uh, and so, yeah, it's just the opposite of what secular humanists say. Uh, the Bible is true cover to cover, line for line, word for word. And, and, you know, I believe the Bible is the only standard for our beliefs, attitudes, and practices. And, um, I'm a biblicist at heart. I understand in the eyes of the secular world that makes me naive or whatever. But, <laughs> you know, look, I, I, you know, the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit like joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So, uh, so absolutely, you know, the flood is a, a key moment. Um, but, uh, you know, God is, uh, you know, 
God is just and God is gracious. Thankfully, he's been telling, like you said, he's been telling us for a long time what's going to yeah. happen. So, yeah. So the urgency, gonna... the urgency is if you don't know the Lord, you know, we don't know. We're not promised tomorrow. James That's says, right. "Life is but a vapor," and of course, the rapture could happen at any moment. I believe. So you just never know. Today's the day of salvation. The Bible says it's free. You know, and the pride of men and women is so strong that it, for those that don't believe, you know, they think I can't get something as valuable as eternal life for nothing. It does cost you nothing. It cost God his own son, and it cost Jesus his life and his shed blood. But there's nothing we can do, nothing in our hand we bring, simply to the cross we cling. Which is notbyworks.org, where Amen. that came from. And so so JB's website, notbyworks.org. Why don't you put that slide up one last time? And then we're you gonna- bet that one so people can see it. So you can get both of these marvelous books. Now you can see over the last four weeks that we've had these incredible discussions. And this is, um, I don't have time at the end here today to go through and read you all of just the table of contents of what these books are all about. And each chapter is so relevant. There's a chapter on geoengineering and on global warming and all of that nonsensical, crazy stuff. Not, I mean, the global warming is nonsensical, but geoengineering they're actually doing you know, and destroying this, the planet. And so, I mean, it, these books are something you absolutely want to have in your library. And, and actually I would say when you go out to um, notbyworks.org forward slash store, you can use happy hour as a special promo code for the things that are there. What a perfect time Now think ahead, plan ahead now is because this is about the time of year. I start thinking about Christmas presents for people. And so this would be a, a really wonderful set of books to get for people that you love or people that you really want to get this information to. And since you're getting a 10% off on that, we had a great time to get three or four or five sets of these books and to be able to have them ready. You can check those people off of your to buy list for Christmas and you can get it and, done in July. <laughs> and if I can mention one thing too, you know, we've had people all across the country that are going through this as small groups and Sunday school classes and just neighborhood Bible studies. If you want to buy 10 or more, Give us a call. Don't do it online because our system isn't sophisticated enough to do that. But call my daughter who works for us at the 1-800 line on our website. We offer bulk discounts for 10 or more copies. So that way you can get an even bigger discount. Just wanted well, to mention there that. there you go. And, and that's the uh, if you want to see the table of contents, go to spiritoftheantichrist.org and you can read the entire table of contents and the preface uh, for both books. Well, what a marvelous, why don't you shut that down, that share screen there down just for a second. What a marvelous four weeks we've spent together here, JB, and doing all of these things. And these books are really magnificent. I mean, I can't say enough good things. I mean, we've had a lot of really good authors and they've all had good books, but I really love your books. I really do. So right as we're closing out here from our four-week series and from our tonight, would you like to lead us in a, in a word of prayer as we close? You bet. My pleasure. And thank you also. Uh, Father, thank you so much for this uh, time together. We pray that over the last uh, four weeks, there has been uh, uh, something said that's edifying and encouraging. Uh, you know, we're not perfect. I'm certainly not perfect. But Lord, we just trust that your word never returns void and uh, pray that it would pierce hearts and encourage believers and convict unbelievers of their need for a Savior. We're all in this together, and we all need a Savior who is Jesus Christ, who died and rose again for our sins. Thank you for Dr. Tenpenny and her uh, ministry and her work, uh, and we just uh, give you all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Well, I want to thank every one of you for joining us here. And you've, if tonight, just by chance, this was the first episode of this four-part series that you just happened to, to stumble across tonight, or maybe you've been out of town, you can go to drtenpenny.com, uh, hover over the podcast tab, and you can watch and listen to the last three weeks of what we have done so far to get us to this point. So I wanted to, you know, we can get the books if you need to buy or you want to buy a whole bunch for your churches or to have Bible study, like JB said, call the office and you can get an even even better discount. So thank you so much for closing us out with prayer tonight, uh, JB. And for that, I want to close with all my, one of my favorite verses that I close every one of my broadcasts with. And all of you have listened to me for a while. You should know this by heart by now. It's Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in trouble and be persistent in prayer. So until the next time, lean into God, trust him for everything. He will never let you down. And